This is Faith Fulcrum, a podcast for anyone trying to balance faith and tradition with contemporary challenges. I'm Mark Baldridge. I'm Scott Simpson. And our conversation grows from a lifetime friendship born within a Bible-centered community of believers. We don't always agree. So you don't have to either. Weigh what we have to say in the scales of your own faith and see. This episode is called Defender of the Faith or Defender of the Defenseless. Have you noticed a sort of uh, defensiveness among, I would say, religious people in general, and I think that might be true, but especially among conservative Christians? What do you mean, exactly? This feeling that everybody is always against me. Oh, yes. There seems to be a lot of defensiveness. Well, I have kind of a theory about that. I kind of feel like there's a lot in the Bible about believers being persecuted. And in early Christian history, there's a lot. You know, th- thrown to the lions. Sure. It feels like there are fewer persecutors, and mm-hmm. I feel kind of like some Christians today feel a little bit left out. Yeah. There's been this ongoing and constant fantasy of persecution, perhaps coming at the end times. Yeah. And there are movies uh, and right. novels left behind and other similar properties. It's also kind of a, an American thing, Red Dawn, the Red Dawn. Oh, yeah, process. right, right. Some of it, I think, is that the political environment and the religious environment have been rather intertwined. So those yes. two things are hard to distinguish. But the other thing I have a theory about that, that goes along with what you were suggesting is that if I'm not being rejected, if I'm not being persecuted, then maybe I'm not really a Christian. I would say that's exactly true because right now the lepers of our world are yeah. transsexuals yeah. and ethnic minorities and homosexuals. And if Jesus was right. here today, and I'm just saying that out loud, it shows how little he is right. present. <laughs> Uh, in our yeah. Christianity yeah. and in our world, if he was uh, if he was walking the streets today, he would be hanging out with exactly yeah. those people. So yeah, I would say that the I would say that the reason Christians don't feel persecuted is because they're far from Christian enough. The Scripture says, "If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father." Yes, and right. it's always mm-hmm. said like it's a challenge. If you're not speaking out enough, if you're not standing yeah. up for what is right and and pointing out what is wrong, this is the way it needs to be, then, you know, Jesus is going to deny you before his father. I believe that this is exactly what he's saying, and I believe he's saying it directly to us. Okay. Uh, Because unless we are spreading that unconditional, all-consuming, top-to-bottom love, Mm -hmm. then, I mean, we're talking about a Christ who hung out with prostitutes. He loved the prostitutes. Exactly. I want to start with two verses. Would you read that? It's uh, 2 Samuel 6, 5-7. Okay, I have it here. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzziah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzziah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. So this seems to be saying that God's got some rules. And there are literally no exceptions. Even if you're trying to do something really good, you break it, you bought it. The explanation I got was, well, look closely. How are they supposed to be carrying? Not with oxen, with priests. So had they been carrying it the right way with priests, then nobody would have stumbled and, and Uzziah wouldn't have reached up and he wouldn't have died. But everybody's making mistakes 
and he paid the price. Well, now the next very next verse, in fact, the next two verses are two reactions of David to this mm-hmm. exact event. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. To this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. Next verse, David was afraid of the Lord that day. Yeah. He said, how can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? And he's not willing to take it to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom and the Gittite. Okay, some he just stashes it somewhere. <laughs> Put it somewhere and over there. Right. He's afraid it's of scary. it. It's scary. It is a scary object. I read something like that and I think, okay, yeah, this is a scary God. I'm going to jump up to the New Testament because it happens there too. Sure. Acts 5, 1 through 11. All, all the followers of, of Jesus who are gathering together, they're kind of having all things in common. So they're selling a lot of their stuff yeah. and they're giving it to the church and, and that's going to take care of everybody. They're kind of living all together. Yeah, very much so. So Ananias and Sapphira. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property with his wife's Full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that's the price. Peter told her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men, I love this verse, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at at his feet and died. Then the young men came in and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So I've always pictured those young men coming back and being just very dismayed to have to do it all again. Oh. Well, not even just that. Just It's pretty spooky. I mean, it's, it's very spooky. spooky. This both feels a bit like the denouement of, a, of mm-hmm. a mystery. You know, you catch somebody in lie, and then you catch their accomplice in the same lie. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it seems a bit like double murder. I mean, in other words, they take these people out and bury them. These people just disappeared, as far as anyone yeah. knows. And there's no inquest, and nobody says, so how did these two people, married people, die three hours apart in the same room with the same people standing around? God? Right. Right. Yeah, really, we need a detective here. Maybe uh, Rock, Jim Rockford <laughs> maybe, from the Maybe Rockford Jim Files. Rockford, he could figure that out. Yeah. Um, for sure. The poorly shaved ham. That's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right. So I wanted to start with these two because I feel like they set a tone of fear since it's clearly in, yeah. in both of these. And I feel like there's a piece of that that makes some good sermons about... Not messing with you, God. You better take this seriously. You better be a defender, not just of of what's right, but, but defender of the letter of the law. And then if my little group has decided some particular thing is precisely what God wanted, right. even if we've had to do acrobatics with Scripture to figure that out or to, to, right. to, to define it, then suddenly it's it's a cause not only worth dying for, maybe it's a cause worth killing, killing. or at least being really nasty to other people right. over right. it. You and I grew up in a, in a tradition no ifs, ands, or buts about a lot of things. That's there, true. there was not there was not a sense that, hey, 
we do it this way, and these other people do it a different way because they, they, okay. they see it a little different, and that's okay. Right. Yeah, there no, was none no. of that. You, there's you no take doubt it, okay. That's okay. You take it very seriously. You take it very seriously, and so much seriously that I was talking with a relative whose father on his deathbed was just, just not sure he was going to make it to heaven. Uh He was just wracked and riddled with, I just don't know. I just don't know. And that's, I think, a result of feeling like the parameters are really specific and I might have not quite figured it out. You know, these passages are difficult. It's obvious that they're difficult in our fellowship, the fellowship we grew in, because they are both encrusted with extra stories, mm-hmm. commentary, right. as were, saying about these things. Well, the reason is, so there's always, the, the, you know, they try to mitigate it or, or to explain it and to make it make sense, because it does seem cold and heartless and, uh, you know, unloving for God to behave this way. But uh, we have these little stories that help us make sense of these things. Right. It wasn't, for instance, that they didn't give all the money. It's that they claimed to give all the money. So now they're lying to God. And so they lie. Like you say, they shouldn't have had him on oxen in the first place. It's really very much like after an accident, the people who have watched it want to blame somebody. And so they're going to yeah. they're gonna figure out what they should have done differently. And that's always so much easier, and, uh, and, you know, for, Hindsight. And so when I think about this, and I think about communities that I know, and, and were I the leader of some community, and, and we're at a community where we we're going to all kind of, from our hearts, give what we can, I think having a demonstration like this would not help that. It might get us more money, but it probably would not be the kind of dynamic that would uh, cause us to draw together as a family unless it was out of the trauma of thinking that we're following a God who's, who could strike us dead at any moment. It's not like this, this lovely, I want to give because I really care about these other people. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this deep fear. I don't know. Yeah. The Ananias and Sapphira thing has a kind of mob-killing feel. Like, you don't steal from the family, you know? Oh, yeah. But it's not yeah. like they are preaching love and, <laughs> and brotherhood. Right, right. 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 This is Matthew 23, 23 through 24. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. As Jesus seems to be pointing out here, you haven't paid attention to the weightier matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faithfulness, which their prophets had been telling them for a long time. He's not, uh, yeah, new with this, right? I mean, you know, Isaiah is full of this stuff. Uh, you think I need sacrifices. Uh, all the cattle on a thousand hills are mine. What I want is, you know, I don't want to hear the blood of the orphans crying out to me from your hands. You know, I want you to protect and save and help uh, those who need, who are helpless. Yeah. You mentioned it at the beginning of this, you know, the sense of, yeah, it's really important to take the commands, if you would, of, of Jesus very seriously. But what those commands are really make a difference. It would make sense to sit down and remind ourselves what they are. I think you were going to read this next one, Matthew 22, 36 through 40. Yes. Uh, when, they, when they asked him about that. It just begins, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So, 
I will tell you a story. When I was a little kid, when I was really little, yeah, and I was I was having trouble. In fact, I remember asking my mother this. My mom's a, a pretty wise person. I, I I took it very seriously that I was supposed to love God. And I remember I was very young, but I said I don't know how to do that because I don't ever see God. Right. I don't see Him. He doesn't talk to me. Right. I don't have any sense of Him. How in the world am I supposed to love Him? And my mom said very simply, uh, "Well, He's." He's given us a really good way to do that. You simply do it by loving other people. Yeah. And that's what it is. Yeah. Which suddenly made made my life much, much better at that point. But I feel like this one-two thing, this love God and then love your neighbor, yes. I feel like yeah. this is something that gets twisted. If I have decided, for instance, part of what God wants is for no one to do the abomination of homosexuality. And you happen to have a, a gay neighbor. And I happen to have a gay neighbor. <laughs> then the only way I can love my gay neighbor right. is to first love God by telling him, you shouldn't be doing that. Doing this, right. And I don't know how we have twisted that around. I see over and over conservative Christian folks who have a strange view of what it means to love, to love a family member who maybe came out of the closet right. yeah. by, by rejecting them completely, to love a, a grandchild who's, who has come out as transgendered by not using the name that they would like to have used. And, right. and I, don't, I, don't, uh, I don't know how that passes for love. It's a love of something, but it's not a love of God if we love God by loving others. And it's not a love of others because it's not treating them with love. But it's a love of something. It's a love of being yeah. right, yeah. it seems to me. What I don't miss of the fellowship in which I was raised is the self-righteous condemnation of others that went on and on uh, and just spread and spread. They're ready to, they're just ready to be right above somebody else, to be above somebody else, to be righter than somebody else. Yeah. And the hypocrisy, I don't, I, and because that, that kind of attitude can't come yeah. except with hip, just yeah. full of hypocrisy because I may know some faults of my neighbor, but I know all my own. And if I don't, then I'm, I'm really not living a, a true, you know, I'm not living an yeah. honest life. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, our, in our tradition, but in, in other traditions as well, you would go to a small, small town sure. In, uh, in, say, Texas, where you and I both lived for a while. Yep. And you would see uh, four or five small congregations of the same group uh, that could not worship yes. together because yeah. they're all wrong. Something. They, they, yeah, there's someone, yeah. The, the, other, the other three are wrong. We've got it right. Yes. And that seems to happen over and over again. And it comes out of the same pot of thinking, I think, as, as me uh, yeah. loving my gay neighbor by rejecting him wholly, you know? I remember a joke growing up, and some people go to heaven, and they say everyone's happy and enjoying themselves, but there's a group all with their backs turned, uh, all in a little huddle, and somebody says, so who, who are they? And, uh, and somebody says, don't, don't talk to them. They think they're the only ones here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's uh, certainly I grew up with the notion that heaven was going to be very, very uh, depopulated yeah. <laughs> uh, because uh, even people trying obviously trying yeah. to follow the Bible, the scriptures, to follow Jesus, they, they had, had somehow yeah. failed. And, and I knew and I was told very specifically how they had failed and why they yeah. wouldn't be in heaven. It was a pretty dark, dark picture of God and uh, the afterlife, yeah. It's, to me, it's weird that the only place you're allowed or you're ever going to get a chance to be happy right, is right. after you're dead. Or, or things are going to be much, 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 much yeah. worse than here. So 
it's like really the whole concept of pushing everything, yeah. including judgment, right, to right. after death, right? Even so, so we so that just allows us to say, oh well, why do these rich people? Why are they able to live uh, for their own pleasures and not give a fig yeah. about their fellow human beings? And and they don't, they're not punished. Uh, we we say, well, they will be. And how come the righteous? Uh, are miserable and uh, persecuted and tromped down. Well, they will be happy. It's weird that somehow for thousands of years we've just accepted that all the injustices in the world will be settled yeah. somehow so we don't have to we don't have to work you know, for, towards yeah. justice now D- don't worry about justice now you can't have justice now there's very a very strong yeah. sense uh, in some of the scriptures that justice mm-hmm. is impossible here. I want to wrap up with with one more. It's, it's from 1 John 4, 20 through 21. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love his brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, I, I know there's a lot of ways that people try to work around that and say, well, this is tough love or, or whatever it is, however it is you want to frame that. But I think it's, it's pretty clear that uh, by, by this scripture in John, but by everything else, um, it, is, it is really difficult to love God. I think we spend a lot of time and a lot of big churches convincing ourselves and convincing God uh, we love him, we love God because we're singing about it so uh, loudly and so in such a heartfelt way. Um, but it's very clear that the bottom line is, as my mom told me, I think the only way to really love God is to love the guy or the girl or the whomever that's, that's, that's there next to you. Who needs, who needs some love, you know? To me, you, uh, your mother is right. The Bible is full of rules, but over and over again, over and over again, God or Jesus or uh, the spokespersons of of these beings is telling us that none of that matters if you're not loving your... Right. You know, if you're right. not if you're not uh, serving those who who have no one to help them, if the orphans are dying in your district and you're not feeding them, if you're, the widows yeah. are going without you know a, a proper clothing or food, mm-hmm. and as Jesus says, if you don't if you're not visiting prisoners, prisoners who have committed crimes, if you're not visiting them in prison, then don't come knocking at my door yeah. asking for anything because yeah. you're not going because you're not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Because uh, because I turned my back on you, God will turn his back on you. Because you turned your back on God. And now you're going to say, yeah. well, when was that? Deeply, inherently in the message of Scripture is this m- monumental idea that we reach out to God by reaching out to each other. Yeah. I, I think in a real practical sense, if I find myself confronted with the tenets of my faith are seemingly requiring me to do this nasty, ugly thing to this other human being, then I need to have the humility to stop and say, okay, wait a minute. Perhaps my understanding of, of God or of Jesus or of my faith or of whatever, perhaps I need to re-examine that because I think the idea is loving other human beings should be the key to helping me define the tenets of my faith. If you want more content like this, we're building a website at faithfulcrum.com. Or you want to get in touch, email us at faithfulcrum at gmail.com. So, Scott, you've got a hymn this time, I take it. I do. It's called 
She's dear to him. And that's two as in T-O-O and him as in H-Y-M-N. She's dear to him. She's dear to 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 There was a church in the valley fair they had the word they had the stare she came one day just to meet the folks knew not what to say their smiles were heavy yokes Dear to me. 